if you're in this in the game for a long period of time and at least you don't have any inclinations of selling moving on liquidating for five or more years i think it's i think it's a consideration to have but less than that I, you're probably wasting your time and money What's going on, guys? This is the Passive Wealth Strategy Show. Thank you for tuning in. Today, our guest is Darren Garman from Heartland Investment Partners. Today, we're talking about something that's really interesting I've not heard about before. We're talking about rolling up multiple syndications into one company. It's something that Darren did that you know, we're gonna, you're going to learn about today. You're going to learn about what all that means. But in short, he's a syndicator that had done a large number of syndications and then rolled them up into one company to streamline operations, improve profitability, reduce expenses, and help them continue to grow. And we go through everything about what that means, what that meant for him as the sponsor of Syndicator, what that meant for his passive investors as far as their ownership and what the returns look like and what happened to their uh, K-1s and all those kinds of things. We get into all that. I ask all these questions. This is less common. I mean, I haven't actually run into somebody that's done this before. I've known it's like theoretically possible. We, we don't see it that often. But now that I know how it works, at least at a high level and, and what it did for him and his company and his investors, now it makes some more sense. I mean, I can see the advantages to doing this and you're going to learn that today too. Really interesting. And uh, Darren has a big wealth of experience in real estate investing. You're going to hear all that. Uh, he's a, a, a long time real estate investor that's done a lot of deals, and uh, he knows what he's talking about, bringing us a ton of experience today, and you're going to learn so, so much. If you do enjoy the show and you're an Apple Podcast user, I ask that you take a quick second, leave us a rating and review on Apple Apple Podcasts, five stars if you don't mind. I'd appreciate that so much. That helps other people learn about the show. That helps us rank higher in the Apple Podcast ecosystem. And I won't lie to you, it helps me feel good. I hear, I read what you guys have to say. And I appreciate it so much. It helps me see that you guys are engaging with the content you're learning and you're escaping the Wall Street casino alongside us and investing in real estate because that's what we're all about here, escaping the Wall Street casino and getting into real hard cash flowing assets. I'm your host, Taylor Lote. I'm a real estate investor, real estate syndicator. I buy real estate with passive investors and split the return. Learn about a new strategy here today. Not only do I actively syndicate properties, but I also passively invest in real estate syndications. And we talk about that today too. I'm really trying to bring both sides of that perspective so that uh, we're really addressing the concerns that passive investors might have. What if a, your sponsor came to you and said, hey, we're going to roll up our syndications into one company. You're going you're gonna to have some questions, right? I would. And you're going to get some of those questions answered today about how it worked for him and his investors. Great conversation. I learned a lot. We also talk about the state of the market today and what he's seeing as an apartment investor with a wealth of experience, a long-term experience before going back before the Great Recession and this most recent correction that we've had. And it's important to have that long-term perspective so that you can see what's happening today and you can take a step back and say, yeah, is this maybe getting a little crazy? You have to have that long-term experience, that long-term perspective to know. And that's what you're going to pick up today as well. Without any further ado, here we go with Darren Garman from Heartland Investment Partners. Darren, thank you for joining us today. 
Hey, great being here. And I look forward to talking with you and talking multifamily, man. Looking forward to it. Hey, it's been great so far before we hit the record button. And I'm sure it's going to continue being great while we're recording here for our listeners. For our listeners out there who don't know about you, don't know about your business, can you tell us a bit about your background, what you do in the multifamily space and all that great stuff? Yeah, yeah. I'll give you the push cart version. So uh, I'm a guy that actually graduated from college and started working for the Department of Corrections. I worked in a prison as a prison guard of all things. And I got out of college thinking I'd be one of those FBI, CSI kind of guys in those shows and doing all that. Uh, come to find out that, you know, you got to actually start at the bottom of the ladder. So the first job I got out of college was a prison guard at a prison in a small town called Anamosa. So I did that for a couple of years and it took me that long to figure out, you know, maybe I don't really want to do this like I thought I wanted to do this. And I always had real estate in the back of my mind. And I always probably at least a couple of years before I even graduated, I thought it would be interesting to get involved in real estate, but didn't really have any direction in terms of what kind of real estate. So made a decision after three years with the Department of Corrections to move on and uh, I'll call it jump into the real estate business. But as a real estate agent, that's what I thought that would be where I'd start. Makes kind of some you know, logical sense. That's where you'd want to start. So I did that and decided, kind of a lucky decision. It wasn't like I had this super forethought <laughs> to focus as a real estate agent and a real estate broker on multifamily. Uh, specifically, you know, doing the brokerage on multifamily properties. In, um, in the eastern half of Iowa. So like any business, you start out with struggles and spurts and fits and you're wondering if you've made the right damn decision and all that. And uh, progressively after a lot of work, time, effort and energy, I started to gain traction. And you fast forward 15 years after that and 80 plus percent of any apartment communities, four units on up pretty much went through my office in terms of our myself and a couple of guys on my sales team. Uh, but it took me that long up to that point in time. I hadn't owned any multifamily, none. I just sold it. So it took me 15 years to wise up and say, you know, <laughs> you probably might want to own some of this stuff, right? So uh, started buying multifamily roughly 15 years ago and uh, started buying my own uh, for my uh, just for myself as the owner. Then I started to get some of my clients and investors saying, hey, I'd love to join you would like to be involved in this with you. Uh, along the way, kind of a little interesting little sidebar is some of those guys uh, talked me into getting involved and in starting a bank with them. So while this is going on, a group of about a dozen of us started a bank, which that was kind of fun. That's a, maybe another story for another time. <laughs> the, but uh, owned that bank for about three years and ended up selling it to one of our one of our major shareholders in the bank. But through that process, I kept having more and more people contact me saying, hey, I want to own real estate. I like to own it with you. Uh, I don't want anything to really do with it. So as a result, I you know, kept working with folks and putting syndications together. So over that period of time, we put almost 40 syndications together over awesome. 15 years. And um, you, know, you fast forward to today, and as of two years ago, take a quick step back, uh, all those syndications, I decided to do a corporate merger rather than having 40 different ones. Now we've got one. We did a corporate merger uh, roll up, as some would call it, and um, rolled that into a company called Heartland Investment Partners. And so as of today, Heartland Investment Partners owns a little bit less than 1,200 units. 
uh, around Eastern Iowa. Um, I am the manager and CEO of the company, oversee the asset management, uh, oversee the property management functions too, uh, with our staff and employees and still involved in the brokerage business. So we do sell a healthy amount of multifamily too, um, too as well. Awesome. So there's so much in there that, you know, I want to talk about. And first, when you, when you do a roll up like that, this is the first I've, I've heard of that. It's pretty, you know, uncommon from, from my read of the syndication space, what happens, you know, to the investors, what happens to the properties? Like, how does that all work or how did it work for you and your, your company in that case? Uh, Yeah. Great question. So it's a simple answer, but if you, if you, if you would judge it by as much paper, attorney's fees and accounting fees are involved in it. You know, you, you, you'd think we, you know, you, you'd think it was something um, uh, more significant because that was just absolutely crazy. Mm-hmm. But bottom line is what happens with any of these investors that owned either a hundred unit property, a 48 unit property, uh, you know, their value is calculated prior to the merger happening and their values basically now rolled into the one company. Uh, as well as all of the gain or benefit that they have had from those properties up to that point, which is interesting. So uh, if we were to ever to sell one of our properties that are now in that, in that one company, what some of those investors that were originally involved in that property would have a much different uh, either tax benefit or obligation as compared to those that weren't involved in it. Okay. And so it's kind of a, maybe an oversimplified way of saying not much really changes for them other than now they're members of a new company. Uh, but anything that they had carried up to that point in time, they still maintain and moving forward. Now, whatever they have is now is, is now in, in a way still a part of them through the, through the new company. Did that make sense? I, I think so. Yeah. I mean, I'm trying to put myself in the the seat and our, our listener's seat. If I was, you know, considering this type of investment, like, well, I've never heard of that before. How do I how do I know that I'm not getting the short end of the stick here on exactly. this? You know, yeah. well, let me expand just for just on a couple of things sure. because you'll have some listeners that might have three syndications, four or five, maybe even more, and it may make sense rather than having all these separate ones. Why don't we put it all together in one mm-hmm. and have one co instead of different ones. And and so uh, what I can tell you is uh, before the roll-up happens, you know, all the properties are appraised, everything is balance sheets are scrutinized. You know, as I mentioned, tens of thousands of dollars are paid to attorneys and accountants to really track everybody's value and their position in those companies to the penny, not only pre-merger, but then also once the dust settles post-merger. And so, you know, the attorneys and accountants are holding your hand along the way. And it's funny, again, how uh, how the process isn't difficult at all from a owner manager standpoint. It's really not. Uh, but the mountains of paperwork <laughs> from the lawyers and the accountants would make you think otherwise. But really, theoretically, it's, it's really not that big of a deal. So what uh, what is the advantage of doing that? I mean, I, I hear that there the advantage may be more in terms of I don't know profitability or profit margin or something like that because I'm hearing that it's not a surprise. There's a big cost for CPAs and attorneys and all of that kind of thing, and it makes can make sense for investors because it simplifies 
maybe the K1s that they receive or, right. or something along those lines. But, you know, how does it help you as an operator or how does it impact, you know, profitability or, you know, what's the reason really why you would do this? Well, so let's start with a couple of things that you mentioned that are kind of obvious. Get those off the table first. So you've got one tax return versus 15 tax returns and the separate costs of doing that. Not only that, but the daily cares of life, tracking all of those reporting numbers, uh, distributions, all of those things are now uh, much, much more easier and the amount of time savings is is significant, uh, very significant. And really, the surprising part to me was the significance time savings versus some of the you know the money savings, you know, with fees and uh, and those kinds of things. Uh, but the big reason, though, is what you now come to the table with from a balance sheet standpoint and from a reputation standpoint. Okay, so rather than coming to the table when we're looking at acquiring something, for example, with a balance sheet that's got, you know, let's say if if we've got a a net worth in our company of five million bucks, you know, coming with a balance sheet that's now over 40 million dollars, that it really helps, Mm -hmm. uh, helps a lot, not only in terms of uh, making it more convincing for someone to work with you on an acquisition, and even more convincing on maybe pricing in terms of uh, uh, we can get this deal closed, close quickly, and maybe getting a little bit more of a discount on your pricing as a result of bringing that to the table and showing that first. But then also from a uh, working with lenders and vendors as well. So the ability to borrow money, the ability to do it easier without having to provide as much documentation and all of the underwriting stuff that you that you you are used to pre-merger is a heck of a lot easier and then with vendors too uh, specifically you know property I'd say property management kind of vendors and supply kind of vendors uh, there's some savings there but I mean don't get me wrong it's not a magic pill uh, <laughs> there was a lot more, cost involved than I thought there would be. It took us more time to get streamlined with this than I thought it would. It took us a little bit more time to get to that, what I kind of mentioned, that reputation part of it than I thought it would. Uh, so those things took a little bit longer than I thought, but you know, looking back on it, 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 it was a good thing for us to do. Interesting. So I'm not asking for specifics beyond anything you might want to provide, but how much time, how much money are we talking? Let's, you know, nuts and bolts, whatever you're willing well, to share. Well, uh, I mean, in terms of, so let's, let's break it down into three categories. So let's, let's talk about time savings first. And I mean, time savings, we're easily, uh, we're easily quarter of a million dollars a year, time savings wise, that adds to the bottom line. So that's and that and that's like an easy no-brainer. It's probably more, but I'll, I'll just I'll just use that mm-hmm. in terms of profitability. In terms of let's say NOI, I mean we're probably at least a million plus in NOI as a result of that. So you know if you use a five cap on a million bucks, that's a lot of money. <laughs> yeah, it's easily into the seven figures with that in terms of the additional amounts of money that we get to the bottom line. And then there's another factor, by the way, which 
I mean, there's not really a price tag you can put on this, but it is my energy as it relates to, uh, by the way, I love what I do. I'm, I mean, it's great. I could work all day and be just fine. But my energy now, my energy levels are a heck of a lot better than what they were before because now there's less balls up in the air. There's really one big ball up in the air. And so it makes things much more easier for me as a uh, as an owner and manager to focus on. And I'm able to make decisions faster. And uh, and, and there, there's, there's a price to that. Uh, there's an emotional and physical price to that too that you probably can't quantify, but it's definitely there. Do you want direct access to passive commercial real estate investments, including apartments, self-storage, medical facilities, hotels, and even more? CrowdStreet has you covered. They provide access to a wide variety of commercial real estate syndications for accredited investors. Over 520 deals have been closed through the platform, and investors have placed over $2.1 billion, that's billion with a B, in those deals. Go to PassiveWealthStrategy.com slash CrowdStreet to get started, or click the link in the show notes. See the CrowdStreet platform for full terms and conditions of what they offer. Once again, that's PassiveWealthStrategy.com slash CrowdStreet to get started. That makes sense. Now, one of the things I wonder is your experience with dealing with your investors. You know, I know from you know the deals that I put together, sometimes you have investors that don't pay that much attention to you know the news coming out and you know they're they're not that engaged and that's fine you can do that as a syndication investor you should keep an eye out but maybe you don't read every newsletter all the time and i've been guilty of that myself as a passive investor i invest with somebody i know like and trust i'm comfortable with the deal it's going great great i'm not going to read every newsletter i'm going to save my time mm-hmm. but there's a risk in there maybe i miss something like this and it's not a financial risk per se based on what you're saying but it's a knowledge risk if this just springs up like, hey, oh, we did this, but you've been mentioning it for the past year and your right. announcements, but I haven't been paying that much attention. It's not mm-hmm. your fault. But did you have any investors say, wait, back up. What are you talking about, Darren? What's going yeah. on? Yeah. So so you're referring to the merger? Is that what you're referring to? Yeah. Do you have anybody that said, I haven't heard about this? And you said, we've been talking about this oh, for yeah. a year. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, and And and, and you bring up a really good point because it continues to happen, and mm-hmm. we can talk about that for a while. But uh, the thing about the, the, this merger and roll-up, though, that makes it even more interesting is you're spot on with that. There are those folks that, you know, eighty percent of them, yeah, they know about it, but they don't. They don't have a comment one way or the other. Okay, you've got um, ten to fifteen percent that do know, and they've got a comment of some kind, either, yeah, I think it's a good idea or, you know, I don't really like this idea. I'm not really liking what's going on here. I don't, I don't really think we should. And you got more of the negative, not surprisingly from folks that had been invested in their, in their one or two properties for quite a while. And the performance has been really, really good. So they're kind of like, well, I got kind of a good thing going on here. So, you know, I've not, for sure, I know you're. I don't. It's not that I don't believe you, Darren, but so you had those folks, and then you had the remaining amount of the folks that you're talking about. That what happened? You know what happened here? And the funny thing is, 
some of them would would go a year past or longer and not know. <laughs> no. And the cool thing about that is we would not only communicate with them electronically, this process required a lot of mail too, because mm-hmm. there's lots of things that needed to be signed. This wasn't like a DocuSign kind of thing. You know, so there's lots of information, lots of stuff coming from the post office, maybe a FedEx once in a while. So it's not like, you know, it, nothing got in front of them. And it'd be like, oh, wait a minute, what, what happened here? And so, yeah, there's there's definitely some of those. But, you know, you're always going to have that. You're always going to have that. It's, it's just it's just definitely part of it. Hey, like I said, I mean, I've been okay. I haven't been maybe a year behind schedule. I pay a little more attention than that. But I've been the passive investor who's not all that engaged because mm-hmm. I'm happy with how it's going. And so I've yep. got other things I want to do. That's a benefit right. of a syndication investment is I don't have to be engaged in that investment. Right. Right. Now, I do want to take a step back to the 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 cost benefit analysis, right? Because you you mentioned a few things the value of doing this in terms of increasing your your NOI and just direct cost savings with saving you time and then also saving you mental energy, which yeah, it's hard to quantify, but you know it's there. I mean, like I said before, I'm getting over a cold right now. My mental energy has been terrible just this week, right? It's a different yep. thing, but I can feel the difference, right? And everybody, I think, can relate to that in some way. But as far as, you know, how much can you tell us about the, say, the dollar cost, right? Because attorneys and CPAs and all those things cost money. Presumably, the benefit outweighed the cost, but the cost is still relevant. You still have to have the cash to lay out. It is. And something that's important that I I was thinking of, as you were mentioning that, is, uh, how the process went for us. So let's, so I do everything. Well, I shouldn't say everything. That's not, that's an exaggeration. I do a lot based on balance sheet. Okay. Mm-hmm. So if you would look at our balance sheet pre-merger, I'm just going to throw a number out there. Let's say our company on a net basis was 30 million. Okay. Pre-merger. Uh, I can tell you though, right after the merger, now the property values have changed, okay, but because of the cost and cash that was needed to do this, we were less, our balance sheet now was not as attractive post-merger as it was pre-merger, okay? So from a balance sheet standpoint, an overall company value standpoint, we took a little bit of a hit. I'd say, oh, Probably not quite five percent, but mm-hmm. but but almost that. Okay, so if you're one of our investors and you know you, your estimated value the quarter prior to the merger was X, your estimated value in company now quarter after the merger is X less what it was before. You're asking questions. Uh, so there was I don't want to say a lot. But there was more of me having to answer those questions than I thought there would be. And rightfully so. I mean, you, you're going to want to know, Darren, I thought this was such a great thing. My value is now lower than it was. Uh, what's going on? And so once you explain that it's it's pretty much what it took to get this done, uh, it won't go c- continue to go down. We don't think it will continue. I'm very confident it won't. <laughs> But it did take us, I would say, 
maybe a year and a half going on two years before we got back over where our company value was after the merger was done. And that's mainly because of those costs. Uh, we did a couple of refinances just to clean some things up too, which is, you know, another, which is another part of it. But it, it, it wasn't as if, you know, my value was, an individual investor's value was, let's just say, $100,000 the day prior to the merger. After the merger, like you hear about all these IPOs, now it's worth, you know, $300,000. No, it wasn't like that at all. <laughs> uh, it was hundred grand down to maybe about ninety grand. Uh, but then, you know, it took about a year and a half to get back over that hundred grand. So, so there, was, there was a little small step back to get those two steps forward. Well, it sounds like it's a it's an investment in efficiency. So I think you you, as far as the upside goes, I think you make a good case for it. But it it can it does hurt. I'm sure to take that initial whack, and and it makes sense that people would have some questions about that. Yeah, it it definitely does. And uh, and real estate's a little bit different because there's just a lot more. I think costs and fees associated with doing it right. Mm -hmm. And, and when you do these kinds of things, you know, you don't want to be cheap. You want to get the people involved that know what they're doing and the people that really know what they're doing, they're not cheap. Nope. <laughs> so, uh, and it shouldn't be that way. It's not for everybody. I can, I can, I can tell you that it's not for anybody, for everybody. But what I would say though, about that is, if you're in this in the game for a long period of time and at least you don't have any inclinations of selling, moving on, liquidating for five or more years, I think it's I think it's a consideration to have. But less than that, I, you're probably wasting your time and money. Good to know. So. You know, you're a veteran of the real estate space. You've done a lot of uh, deals as a as an investor, and I would be remiss if I didn't ask you what you think about the state of the market. You know, right now. Now, granted, we're talking; uh, it's not quite summer yet, but by the time this goes live, we will be well into summer of 2021. But I don't know how much is going to change by then. Anyway, right. what are you thinking about where things stand? You know, these days, mid 2021. Well. Uh... It's, it's a great time to be an owner. Uh, your values are going up. Your equity is increasing. Uh, so great time to own. Uh, it's a great time to be a seller if you're in that, um, if you're in that mindset that it, now it's time to sell. Uh, I think uh, it's probably an exaggeration to say everywhere is having you know, probably record price per unit sales or price per door sales. But it, it's probably pretty close to the majority of uh, states are having that. I mean, even in Iowa, I mean, when you think about investing in multifamily, Iowa is not the first place you think of for most people, you know. <laughs> um, and even here, it's the market is super, super hot. So to be an owner right now, it's really good. Um, you're gaining some good equity. Uh, especially uh, maybe if you're looking for a refinance or something like that, it's all good. If you're a seller, you're going to sell for a really nice price, probably more than you thought you would even as, as, as little as two, three years ago. But one thing that concerns me, though, is 
there's so much competition that I think a lot of properties are now being purchased in, in, in with the thought that the, there's going to be hope that all of the metrics and underwriting work out versus going into it with a solid draw the line in the sand. This is as much as we're going to pay for the property and that's it. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll hand it to the real estate brokerage world, you know, starting you know a few years ago with this call for offers process that it's, is kind of the norm now, um, which by the way, another podcast for another time, it's the world's worst way to buy any kind of property. <laughs> it's, I mean, why, you know, it's the world's worst way to do it. So my fear is there's really no more, there's really no such thing anymore as what's called value add. I think that's gone. I think the value add is gone based on the bidding wars that happen in order to buy them. Uh, and of course, not in every case, there's going to be exceptions, but I think in most cases that I've seen, and we've taken a shot, my company's taken a shot now in the last year and a half at nine different deals, anywhere from a small, the smallest number was 46 doors, the largest number was 222 doors, Every single one of those, uh, we were outgunned by someone else that wanted that obviously decided to pay more. But the interesting part of that is the questions that I'm getting now that I didn't used to get before related to the huge demand. Let me just give you like a quick a couple of quick examples. Okay. And for a passive investor, this should concern you, by the way, these questions I'm going to mention. In the latest project that we didn't get. And maybe some of this is a little sour grapes on my part, maybe a little bit, but you know, but here's a question that I had that I've never had before. This was 172 unit, 172 door. Here's the question. How many units do you plan on inspecting as part of your due diligence? Oh, that was a legitimate question I had. And the, the party that ultimately ended up buying this property uh, from what I was told by the broker, uh, inspected, I think, less than 30% of the 172 units. Okay. Um, yeah, that should be concerning. And, and, and like I told the, the folks when we were working on this, I said, I, I'm going to want to see all of them. And it's not so much that I'm going to go through there and come back with a list and try to retrade you. That's not really the point. The point is I want to know as much as I can going in, uh, not only for myself, but you know my partners as well. And so when you start getting those kinds of questions, uh, that tells you that things are getting interesting. Here's the other thing that's kind of related to that that concerns me. Uh, one of the properties we looked at was a HUD uh, project-based property. And for those listeners that don't know what that is, all that means is every single tenant that lives there, part at least part of their rent's being paid for by HUD, every single one. So we own a 100-unit project-based property where that's the case. And in the same city where that's in, a 46-unit property came available. So Having owned these properties, I know how they operate. I know what the numbers look like. I know what's going to happen on the expense side of things. I know. I look at these numbers for this 46-unit property, and they were not accurate. (laughs) I already knew. Um, So they were so inaccurate 
I knew who the owner was. I called the owner. By the way, he's got a broker selling this for him. I didn't call the broker. I called the owner. <laughs> and the owner didn't. I said, have you taken a look at the marketing package on this? Well, yeah, I think so. Okay. Well, if you have, you've got a line item of X amount of dollars on here for laundry income. And I know it can't be close to that amount of money. There's no way. He proceeds to tell me that they don't even have any laundry income. Oh, boy. Yeah. And there were a couple of other expense categories that I knew were not really in line either. So I think you're going into a phase now where it used to be if you're doing due diligence, hey, let's take a look at last year's tax return, couple years tax return. Let's look at last year's trailing 12 rent rolls. All the, Now it's basically here's this pro forma. OK, go buy that and buy it. And by the way, uh, only inspect 10% of the units. OK, so I'm exaggerating there a little bit, but that's what you're seeing now. So those things concern me because the properties are still selling. There's still competition because there are people that are willing to throw a lot of their uh, underwriting processes kind of to the side just to get the property and then hoping after they buy it, it either won't be they won't run into as many issues as, as, as maybe they could. Uh, or they've got some process that'll get that property to where they think it'll be. And, and I just think that's a dangerous way to go. But that's what you're seeing now because of the competition out there. Wow, that is nuts. I don't know that I've ever heard the question personally about uh, how many are you going to, going to inspect, but that does raise a big red flag. And I wonder- I can't believe it. Oh, uh, that's crazy. I could not believe it. I'm like, What? Wait a minute, what did you say? How many units do you plan on inspecting? How many units are there? All of them. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, you got to see everything. Well, anyway, I, you know, not, not, to, not to belabor the point, but when you're <laughs> hearing those things, it's, it, it does concern me. Absolutely. Right now, we're going to take a quick break for our sponsor. Have you ever wanted to invest in the private lending and debt side of real estate? You might find that going out and finding borrowers on your own is tough. When you find a borrower, you have the task of evaluating their plan all on your own. And the traditional way of lending private money highly concentrates your risk because you'll probably be funding the whole rehab loan on your own. That meant writing loan checks well into the hundreds of thousands of dollars, placing a lot of risk in individual borrowers and properties. Not to mention, there's a lot for you to know in terms of how to structure these loans so that you can help protect yourself and work with the borrower in your interests. Now, there's a new way to invest in the debt side of real estate that turns the private money lending space on its head. You can invest in a variety of debt instruments with this new platform with as little as $10 in each opportunity. You can diversify your investment across a wide variety of borrowers, geographies, and asset types. This new platform is called ground floor. They make it easy to invest in either your name or using your self-directed IRA. And if you don't already have a self-directed IRA, don't worry. They make it easy to get started and get one opened. Go to www.passivewealthstrategy.com slash ground floor to get started or click the link in the show notes. See the ground floor site for full terms and details of what they offer. Once again, that's www.passivewealthstrategy.com slash ground floor, or click the link in the show notes. Back to the show. 
All right, Darren, I've got three questions I ask every guest on the show. Are you ready? I'm ready to go. Great. First one, what is the best investment you ever made other than in your education? No question about it, my marriage. Nice. My nice. marriage. 32 years, Congratulations. actually, a week ago. Thank you. Nice. Thank All right. I turned 32 next month, so just a little <laughs> bit before. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> Sorry. Good for you, by the way. <laughs> So, uh, yeah, some of the listeners might not know my age, so now you know. Um, so we had the best investment. Now we go to the other side of that coin, the worst investment. What is the worst investment you ever made? Yeah, worst investment was a property that myself and a partner bought that we knew we shouldn't have bought, 60 units, but we both thought we were so smart and so good at what we're doing. We believed our own bullshit. Uh, we decided to buy it anyway. Ended up having to get it insured by Lloyd's of London. We ended up losing our ass on it, had to sell the property. A lot of very expensive and important lessons learned there. We'll never do that again. Interesting. So they, was it primarily because the insurance came out a lot higher than you expected? Oh, well, I, it, it, I'll, I'll give you the story as quickly as I can. But property, wrong location, wrong city, wrong location. But, you know, we're so smart. We're so good at what we, <laughs> we do. We're going to be able to do all these things to of course. it, you know. And it, it, you know, the first, the second month we owned it, uh, one of the buildings, it's a uh, uh, 10, six unit buildings contiguous. One of the buildings had a tenant throw a, a Molotov cocktail, oh, was mad at his girlfriend, threw it through the window of the apartment. That building, um, not totally, but was almost totally uh, partially burned, uh, decided to be reconstructed. The same year um, we owned that. Uh, pipe froze, top floor, burst, all units. That property was was totaled. So within one year period of time, we had almost a million and a half dollars in claims. Our policy was up. Who do you think would want to cover us and after we had that amount of claim? And I can tell you, nobody. So the only coverage we could get was Lloyd's of London in order to cover us. And the premiums were so high that we had to finance the premium. Wow. Yeah. And by the way, that's after the first year and a half. Yeah. I didn't even know you could do that. Finance the premiums. Yep. You can, by the way, you can, (laughs) (laughs) Uh, it'd be good if you, if I didn't know that, by the way. Uh, Yeah. I hope to never need that lesson. yeah, Yeah. I mean, we had to finance the premium in order to keep insurance on the property. Wow. Yeah. My favorite question here at the end of the show is what is the most important lesson you've learned in business and investing? Oh, great question. You know, that's such a really good question. It's hard to come up with like a simple answer because there's a lot of them, you know, we could probably talk about a bunch, but so if I had to come up with one or two, I'd say mentors, number one, uh, mentors, I think is, is huge and a great, um, Maybe shortcuts, not the right word, but it's probably an accurate word. Fast track. Yeah, there you go. So I think mentors and also getting hooked up with either a mentor or someone that really keeps you accountable. Uh, I think accountability is a huge, huge game changer, you know, especially in the business that we're talking about. Uh, I think that's huge. So I think getting hooked up with a mentor or mentors and, um, spending the time, effort, and energy with them. Uh, and then also um, on the accountability side, I think it's super important. 
Awesome. Well, Darren, thank you for joining us today. Uh, to be honest with you, I had no idea this is what we were going to talk about, but it was a fascinating it was conversation. Fun. Great yeah. to learn. Yeah. It, yeah. You bet. It was great being with you. It was awesome. It's my pleasure. If folks want to reach out, if they want to get in touch with you, they want to find you on the internet or wherever else, where can they do that? Yeah. Yeah. So uh, you, the best place would be to go to my website. It's uh, my first name and last name. So it's Darren Garman. Dot com And I better spell that because there's the GPS system and there's all that out there. They're spelling so, it wrong. Yeah, yeah. So it's D-A-R-I-N-G-A-R-M-A-N.com. And uh, it's a great place to go. Resources, uh, some really good book downloads there too for multifamily folks that are looking into getting more interested or more info on investing. So yeah, DarrenGarman.com is where you want to go. Awesome. Well, thank you for joining us once again. To everybody out there, thank you for tuning in. If you're enjoying the show, please leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. It's very much appreciated. That helps other people learn about the show. And I won't lie to you, it helps me feel good. I can see what you guys have to say, <laughs> and I appreciate it. If you do enjoy the show and you know anyone who could use a little bit more passive wealth in their lives, please share the show with them and bring them into the tribe. Thank you for tuning in once again. I hope you have a great rest of your day, and we'll talk to you on the next one. Bye-bye.